Thank you so much for listening to Breadwinning Mums. We really appreciate your continued support over the last year, and we're happy to announce that we have published the Breadwinning Mums book. Yay! This book is based on the conversations from the Breadwinning Mums season one episodes. It highlights the candid journeys of each mums, as well as a golden nugget of wisdom from their life's lessons. Now is the perfect time to give the gift of the Breadwinning Mums book to the special mums in your life or to yourself. No matter where you are in life, I'm sure the practical tips within the Breadwinning Mums book will help you take your lives just a little bit further. Limited copies available, so order yours now at breadwinningmums.com. That's breadwinningmums.com. Coming up next on the Breadwinning Mums. Don't ever compare yourself to anyone else. Yeah. Don't look at what someone else is doing and go, oh, I'm not quite like that, therefore. Yeah. That's right. Do what's right for you and be confident in that mm. and validate your own success. Mm. Don't look to others to validate what you're doing is mm. right or wrong. Mm. Be confident enough to say, this is my situation. Mm. This is my measure of success. This is what's right for my family, for my partner. Mm. And be very comfortable in that and just work towards that. Yeah. podcast. This is a place where we debunk the myths of working mums, cheer each other on and show the world that it's okay to be a mum and still pursue excellence in your chosen area of expertise. Today we're chatting with Gabriela Nunes, a fellow married breadwinning mum with three boys. Gabriela is a director of research and commercialization at University of New South Wales. Gabriela shared with us her life story about being the youngest daughter of her parents who immigrated from Italy, inheriting their hard work ethics and finding equality and true partnership with her husband in raising their family. Here we go with Gabriela Nunes. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. So we've met a few times during the UNSW Founders event, yes. um, but this is probably the first time that we are spending time one-on-one. -on -one. Can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, so at the moment, my current role, which I've just stepped into, um, is a Director for Research and Commercialisation um, for the Trailblazer for Recycling Clean Energy Program, or TRACE for short. So. Um, 
Yeah, that's a program that's run by UNSW, University of Newcastle. It's funding from Department of Education, a whole heap of industry partners. So $280 million program over four years. And it's all about commercialising um, technologies in the recycling and clean energy sector. So mm. getting them out of the university into the market a lot faster. Yep. Um, so that's a really exciting program to be part of and just in its very, um, it's in its infancy and just setting that up and... Mm. And the reason I stepped into that role was, yeah, through my work through UNSW Founders where we cross paths. So um, I found, I've been with the university um, close to four years now mm. and I'd never worked in that environment before. And when I first joined, um, I was just amazed at the type of tech mm. being developed and, and sitting almost hidden within the university, like phenomenal mm. um, solutions. Mm. And you just looked and they're like, that needs to get to market. Yeah. Um, so the Founders Program is an excellent platform for that mm. and some of the, the startups that we work with there are research-based or come out of the university but has a much broader remit. Mm. So that's all about anyone, students, staff and alumni taking an idea, mm. turning it into a company, scaling that, making it investable. And through my role there, um, so I was running the Startup Accelerator programs, mm. <clears throat> I came across working, um, the Trailblazer was, was starting to be set up and so my role was to set up a climate accelerator as one part of that and mm. I was exposed to the broader program and I thought this is something I want to be part of and yeah my, my time at Founders was a huge inspiration yep. and stepping stone into that so yeah that's where I am currently. Yeah that's awesome. Where do you see Trace in four years time? Well it is a four-year program. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly good question um, and it's short and sharp and yep. it's very focused and it's intentionally that way mm. so the two big, I guess, objectives of Trace are one, uh, to commercialise these amazing technologies, and there's 17 very specific projects that we're focusing on. Mm. And two, we're doing it in a different way, a new model that's um, universities have been okay at commercialising tech in, in the past. Mm. So we're trying to find ways to um, make it easier for industry to engage with us, get the tech to market faster. So a whole mm. new model mm. of commercialising that. So the whole, the second point of Trace is to leave that legacy yep. a different way of doing it. So yep. in four years' time, I'd like to sit back and say that's what we did. Yep. This is a new way of, of working or yep. and incentivising the commercialisation of that tech. Yeah. I've been involved in a few um, sustainability programs as well when I was on exchange um, at in New York and the agreement about whether if the whole world can actually come to meet Paris Agreement or not is still quite mixed. In your professional opinion, where do you think we are, we are globally? Yeah, globally is one thing, nationally yeah. is another. Yeah. Um, I think there have been a few setbacks mm. based on different political agendas, yep. obviously, and we've seen that very much play out in Australia, yep. unfortunately. Um, I, 10 years back, or probably 15 years back, I was in a, a role around helping companies export and attract foreign direct investment, and there was a huge focus on um, clean energy. And, oh, and, we, and then back then. Yeah. This was with Austrade, right? Yeah. yeah. And then change of government, change of ministers, etc. that all folded. Yeah. So I feel like we've gotten past that mm. back and forth to some degree in Australia. Mm. Um, there's definitely the intention, there's the money, the ecosystem's more developed. Um, so that's the political landscape's mm. one component. Mm. Um, and globally, obviously, that's shifting a bit, as we've, we've just seen with COP28, hopefully. Yeah, I know. <laughs> hopefully. 
Um, words are one thing, mm. actions another. Mm. But then if you sort of take it down to the operational level, which is I feel like where I'm operating in and mm. supporting these teams and startups and SMEs, it's more about the techs there, mm. but it's building out the supply chain. Mm. Each piece of technology in isolation yep. solves one part of the problem. Yep. But in order to get something to market that's efficient, practical, affordable mm. is a big piece mm. and a, a really difficult one to, cha- uh, to tackle yep. um, because at the end of the day, the users, it's not that some people don't want to adopt things. They some people aren't in a position yep. to be able to. So yep. it's getting that right across the entire supply chain yep. is quite, um, and deep tech itself, yep. <laughs> um, getting that to a point mm. where it's um, commercially feasible yep. has always been hard. So it's sort of a, a, a mixture of all those factors, the, mm. the political landscape, the difficulties in deep tech and the usability. So I feel like there's momentum. We're getting there. Yep. Can we get there in four years? Not in four years, yeah. um, okay. but we'll certainly make, and like I said, it's a very, it's, it's, it's a model for universities to adopt and industries to work closer mm. with universities. Mm. I feel like we'll be one part of the ecosystem yep. that helps accelerate it. It is a much bigger picture. So mm. yeah, hopefully in four years, we'll have some really strong traction. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I remember when Scott Morrison first talked or first explained the reasons why they're not supporting um, the movement towards green energy and, you know, the cessation of um, basically coal energy. Um, And he said the technology is not there. Simply it's not really an option for him at the time. And so hopefully by the sound of it, you're helping Australia lay the groundwork to make it an actual viable alternative for then the politics to come up to play and support that. Yeah, and when it's ha- possible. having something commercially feasible. Yeah, as well. Yeah, mm. brings it all into play. And yeah, like this is one small part of the ecosystem. Yep. There are many others out there. And I find that, yeah, the, actually the climate tech ecosystem in Australia, in particular in Sydney, New South Wales, over mm. the past couple of years has just, yeah, exploded. So, yep. yeah, okay. the trajectory is there. Yeah, awesome. Well, it's so good to, to see you on the helm of it. So well done and good luck. Thank you. Excited to see what happens. When I first invited you into the Breadwinning Mums podcast, we had a little bit of a discussion because there seems to be a stigma about breadwinning mums out there and making it work and being everything for everyone. Can you tell us a little bit more about your perspective? Yeah, thank you. And um, we we had this discussion. I think when you first approached me, I was keen but hesitant. Mm. And and we had that conversation about the positioning of being a breadwinning mum. And yeah, I think I was quite honest. To be honest, I... Yeah, that sort of, it wasn't something that I wanted to perpetuate too much because mm. I'm all for women advancing mm. in their career, in their family life, in, in any way they see fit. But I sometimes I felt like the positioning of a breadwinning mum can be sort of mm. a double-edged sword. Mm. So it's this, it just somewhat creates this um, perception that you have to be mm. a breadwinning mum. You mm. have to be really successful in your career. You have to be a primary carer mm. and, and bear the, the wider load of that mentally, physically, etc. Mm. Um, and sometimes it can be a bit of a stereotype. If you're not doing all that, then you're not successful. Mm. So that was my initial hesitancy mm. to mm. sort of come on, mm. on the podcast. But then I think we had a chat. And for me, it's about if that's what um, 
a woman chooses to do, mm. perfect, mm. fantastic. Um, but for me, it's more about equality mm. and choice mm. and flexibility. Mm. So in my mind, there's no way I can do everything I do without my partner mm. and what he does, and there's no way he can do mm. what he does without me. Yeah. So for me, um, it is getting women to, to sort of feel they can do whatever they want to do mm. as long as it's their own measure of success. Yeah. Yeah. So if you want to be a breadwinning mum, have a great career, have an amazing family, do all that, mm. go for it. If you choose not to, that's fine. Mm. It doesn't mean you're any less su successful. So, mm. yeah, for me, it's about flexibility and choice mm. and defining your own measure of success. Yeah. Yeah, and equality. I can't get the word quality out there enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. If, if we want equality, then we have to think of it that way. And um, actually, I'll, I'll talk about this as well. There was a few years back, there was someone I worked with who um, decided to be a stay-at-home father for mm. a couple of months, mm. which is excellent. Um, and he stayed home for three months. And then he went on to write a book about it and it was interviewed in the media. Mm. And every time I saw it, I just got more and more angry. Mm. <laughs> and I was like women take dec decades out of their career, yeah. you've taken three months to stay at home mm. and you felt you needed, it was worthy of writing a book yeah. and he was being applauded in the media. And the intention behind it was great. It's mm. encouraging more fathers mm. or partners, whoever it is, to step into that role, mm. which my husband has done mm. after, during our, it took to our third child. Mm. And um, even he, it wasn't until he stepped in that and he said, oh my goodness, mm. I, I'm starting, <laughs> starting to understand like a couple months doing it. Yeah is yeah unless you've done it for a couple of years in a row or, or decades yeah it's really hard to understand the mental the physical stress etc so it's definitely the right thing to work towards mm. but I think putting someone up in lights mm. just for like it should be equal mm. do you know what I mean that's, mm. I think that's what we should work towards not just a little stint mm. here or there yeah thing yep Yep, perfect. I, I think I shared with you the whole reason for my starting the Red Winning One podcast was when I went back to full-time work um, and the kids were littlies at the time, I think about two and four. And I used to feel this constant guilt of leaving the kids behind. The youngest one, she would she would say to me, Mommy, I want, to, I want you to stay at home. Why, why do you have to go? And I would hug her and I would like draw these little hearts on her palm and say, <laughs> look, if you miss me, just press on this heart and just close your eyes and say, Mommy, I miss you and I'll see you later. You know, it's just that constant guilt. Yes. Um, and, and you're right. Everyone should have a choice and being able to pursue that um, success in whatever shape or form that they see it. Um, sometimes it's thrown upon us because we had to. Yep. In my case, it was, um, and I share this in the book as well, it was because my husband was diagnosed with cancer and he wanted to take some time off work to focus on his health and spending time with family. But sometimes people have that inner drive to want to succeed in a professional career. And being able to have that support, that e equity, that equality, um, and, and being able to um, find our place in the world I guess and how we can contribute is is the whole um, purpose of this podcast yeah exactly. being able to learn from others and how they are able to make it work because it is you're right it's it's a huge thing it's a huge sacrifice for our health for our physical health our mental health and financially as well yeah um, so hopefully um, the fact that we are having this conversation is to put in the spotlight that I think 
everyone have their own different definitions about exactly. what being a breadwinning mum is. Um, my definition is to say that uh, you're not less of a mum because you're out there working. Of course not. You're still there for your family when you're at home physically, um, but it's okay to do that as well and juggle. Yeah, exactly. And I actually mm -hmm. find I'm a better parent when I mix the two. Yes. Because I feel like, and you're also a good role model. So yeah. I sit there and explain to my kids what I do and they're like, mm -hmm. oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Or maybe I want to start a company one day or yeah. I want to do this. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And so, yeah, I think I find I'm a better parent mm -hmm. working and I've got the luxury of, of doing part time. Mm -hmm. um, so, but, and the, your second point there is whatever model works yeah. for you and your family, every family or situation is different. Mm. So it's, yeah, I guess what we're saying is don't put a particular model out there as the, yeah. the success yeah. path. Yeah. Do what works for you in your situation. Yeah. Okay. All right. So tell us a little bit more about your mum motherhood journey. You have three? Three boys. Oh. Three beautiful boys. boys. Yes, okay. I know. That's why I have many, many wrinkles. <laughs> How old are they? Eight, five, and three. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. None of them are wallflowers, which is excellent, <laughs> but very tiring. Yeah. What are they like? Uh, they're amazing. They're very energetic. Yeah. I just I just saw a friend and they asked me how the kids are like, they're beautiful, they, but they're fun. They're constant fun. Yeah. <laughs> There's no pause. Yeah. I mean, school holidays. Oh, it's next year, school. next week. <laughs> I actually really enjoy school holidays because then I get to be a kid as well, oh, get yeah. a time zone and all that sort oh, of thing. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Do they have different personnel? Of course. That's the other thing. Yeah. And when we're talking about different situations, mm. um, yeah, my they all got different temperaments and different personalities so some people say oh wow you're the mum of three boys that must must be intense and I do genuinely believe physiologically mm. there's different hormones <laughs> running through boys and girls but then you've got to add on to that different temperaments different mm. personalities mm -hmm. so um yeah some of my son like some of them are the real um you know go get them testosterone driven yeah. high energy running around all the time yeah <clears throat> my second son when he was born was much more chilled yeah um, but now they're, and my third son's a good hybrid, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but now it's, it's beautiful. And I grew up in three and yeah. so I always wanted to have three, okay. the way they balance each other out yeah. and the dynamic that's starting to play out now. It's really nice. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Okay. So you mentioned that your husband, um, took care of the kids when the third one was born. Yes. Could you tell us a little bit more about the journey? What, yeah, what was yeah. it like? Yeah. So actually the f first time I came back from maternity leave, mm -hmm. um, I was working at um, in a government agency to help companies export. Um, perfect. I had an amazing boss who didn't have a family of her own, but completely like, was flexible. You can manage a team, you know, do what you need. And she gave me all the responsibility and really helped me grow regardless. Mm. Mm. Um, the second time I came back from maternity leave was quite different. Mm. I was sort of told, oh, you're part-time. You can't manage a team anymore. I was managing two teams prior. Um, put me sort of pigeonholed me in a little mm. corner and I'd been there for a while so I thought okay it's, it's time to move on now like mm. I, yeah so I thought I'll and I was pregnant with my third mm. at the time and so I thought I'll just start looking around and I'll, I'll look for a job on maternity leave but then um, I, there was a job that came up a friend referred it to me I applied thinking all right I'll, I'll have some interview practice mm. and I was six months pregnant at the time by then and um, yeah, I got the role, which was, yeah, really restored my faith in the system yeah. and, and full credit um, to the hiring team there. Mm. So 
but the the requirement was that I did come. Uh, the other two kids had taken roughly a year off. Mm. Um, by nine to ten months, you start to go a bit stir crazy yeah. at home, yeah. <laughs> um, as, as beautiful as they are. And so, yeah, we sort of negotiated that I'd backfill my role for nine months, mm. come back. So then my husband said, "Okay, I'll take the three months off." So he got to step into that role, which he really enjoyed. Yeah, and. Um, He's going to kill me for saying this, but two weeks into it, he said, "Oh, now I understand what you." I thought, "Oh no, you don't." <laughs> two weeks is nothing, Spend another mate. Another eight years. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then we're on par. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Awesome. Can you tell us um, what was the younger Gabriella like? Oh. She was fun. Yeah, no, um, I guess I've always been, and this is probably Julian to me through my father and my parents, really hard, hard, hard working. Mm. There was always a, um, I guess a role modelled. Like my parents were migrants, mm. came here, built, mm. like worked really hard to give us everything we had. So I think growing up with that, I'm always quite conscious to keep that in, not, not take things for granted. Like we're extremely privileged, mm. the life we have here. But mm. I know that was all through, not just them, but my grandparents like generations of mm. hard work so mm. where uh, do they come from your parents uh, my parents are from Italy oh wow okay yeah right. it's a good solid Italian background yeah um, <laughs> what were their journey like how old were they when they moved yeah that's a really good point my mother came when she was 12 years old okay so she's one of six children mm. and so her family sort of moved out of real necessity post-war migrants mm very, very little mm. um, left after the war. So mm. they came across more out of necessity. Mm. Um, th- so my grandfather and the two eldest daughters came first to f- um, find work, buy a house, build up some money. Then my grandmother, my mother and, and the youngest um, three came afterwards, mm. like a couple of years later. Mm. And then a few years after that, my grandfather passed away unexpectedly. Oh. So my grandmother found herself as a single mother of six yep. in a new country. Yep. Um, so when I talk about hard work, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I actually, every time when I was on maternity leave and I thought, this is so hard, yep. this and that, I'm like, this nothing is nothing. Like, to what your mum went yeah, yeah, yeah. So that really gave me a lot of perspective in terms of what we have and it's, it's a good reminder. Um, whereas on the flip side, my father came out when he was 22 years old. Mm. So his family um, probably were a bit more comfortable mm. um, and so he came more out of, he was 22, his, his brother had migrated, mm. he wanted to come over. Mm. He still, he came, worked extremely hard mm. as well. And then, um, yeah, after, I think after 10 years, he mm. decided to go back, mm. got back and thought, oh, I, I'm not, I can't live here anymore. Mm. So came back to Australia, met my mother. Oh, okay. Et yeah. So quite, they were quite mature by then. Yeah. yeah. So my mother back then, yeah. she was, I'm the one of three. Mm. So she was 39 when she had me. And that oh, was wow. really okay. old back yeah. then. Are you, where are you and your siblings first? I, I'm the, first. the youngest. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, and then it's, I probably had children at similar ages to her, but she did it yeah. like, a generation ago. So, yeah. 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 Wow. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, we've gone really far off track here. But no, it's always good to, to go through, you know, sometimes it's nice, nice to revisit your life story. Yeah. 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 Okay. So your grandma was um, single mom for a good part of her motherhood. Yeah. Um, what do you think you've learned from both your grand grandma and your mom as well in terms of 
um, how to be a mother, how to find your place in the world? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, my grandma, I think, because she had to be, was quite stern and hardworking, like no-nonsense type of woman, um, which is yeah, that, that really strong ethic. Mm. Where And my mum is one of the most amazing human beings. She's just calm, collected, gets on with things, always considerate of others, mm. always putting others before herself. But... Um, which sometimes, you know, I sort of say to you, do you need to think yeah, yeah. Off about yourself? Yeah. It's good to be selfish. Yeah, but she's just then. got this beautiful balance and calming nature. So whenever yeah. um, the kids go, we had to live with her for a few months uh, while we renovated. Mm. And it was just amazing, like that the influence on the children. So I, I definitely take that from, yeah. I hope I take that from my mother. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Whereas my father had a really strong yeah. character and personality and, yeah. and um, yeah, really driven. And so... I feel like I get a, a little bit of that from him, which yep. is amazing. Yep. Um, so, yeah, the the combination of the two, like they're very different people, but very complementary. Yeah. So. Yeah. I actually uh, touched on this a few months ago. Um, I think parenthood gives you the chance to sort of fix what w- went wrong in your family of origin. There's a lot of, yeah, that online. Yeah. Right. Um, do you think, was there... Have you ever experienced a moment where you thought and you made a conscious decision to say, this is what I'm going to do right this time around? It's a really good question. Um, I think the role modelling and the drive, it was always there, but it wasn't necessarily articulated. Mm. It's just very subconscious. Mm. So I think what I do with my kids now is I explain yeah. what we're doing a bit more. Yeah. Like we're doing this so you can understand. Yeah. Yeah. Rather than just do this because I told you so. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Or um, you tried this. It didn't work out. You had a horrible experience. Mm. But the other day I was, tra- I was explaining this to my son and I saw somewhere online like you and teach kids about complex emotions. Like mm. I said, but this is building your resilience. Mm. So what's resilience? Yeah. And I explained it to him. Yeah. Um, so I think... We're fortunate enough. There's a lot more information out there. Sometimes yep. too much. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes way too much. Yes. Um, but yeah, I think I sort of rather than just let it be unspoken. Yeah. Yeah. Explain a lot more to my children of what we're doing, why we're doing it, mm. why you can't have that, why you can now type mm. thing. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. And so, what's life like for you right now? Um, like everybody, yeah. it's very busy, but yeah, I, I really enjoy it. So yeah, as I said, stepping into a new role, it's sort of building the team, building the program from scratch, which is really exciting. Um, yeah, my children are a little bit older now, so, mm. yeah, a little bit easier. Yeah. Still, the last, the youngest one is three. Three. So, still, yeah. still needs you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I'm really fortunate. I get one day a week where I spend with them. I sort of make up the time over the rest of the week. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's busy, but, uh, yeah, I don't think I'd have it any other way. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Is there any certain ritual or routine that you do to make it work or easier? Um, if I'm being very practical, yeah. Um, when I'm driving to and from work, yeah, it's like the me time, yeah. Like some really good music, a really strong coffee, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where I sort of process everything. Like there's no one asking for anything. I don't have to respond mm. to anything. Mm. So I actually get to think, yeah, both home and work life and think about things, come up with the, the solution or come up with the idea. So, mm. um, 
yeah, that and the music and changes the chemistry in your brain. And <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's my survival at the moment. And but yeah, but also making sure there's plan breaks um, yep. to spend some quality time at home, like school holidays or going away. I didn't have a lot of that this year, mm. and I really noticed the difference. Mm. So yeah. How? What's the difference? Do you think is everyone just a little bit more tense? Okay. Yeah, and you don't have um, the clarity of mind. Yeah, like yep. things that are simple seem a lot more difficult or stressful. Yep. Yep. Yeah, oh, that's that's good to know. Yeah, hmm. yeah. Um, it's very logical, but then yeah, yeah. Sometimes you forget. You forget to yeah. implement. Yeah. Okay. Um, how was the transition between one to two kids and then two to three? Apparently, two to three is the hardest. But then no, every, no? no. Once you're once you're in the trenches, <laughs> <laughs> bathing two or three. What's the difference? <laughs> Add uh, another three. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> I actually think the transition from zero to one is the hardest. You yeah. have no idea what you're walking yeah. into. Yeah. Yeah. I chose to remain blissfully ignorant. Someone <laughs> asked me, do you want to know? And I said, no. Yeah. And then um, uh, a woman I work with was having her first child. And I said this, and this was after I'd had the three hour. I said, what, do you want to know the truth or do you want to just go? And she goes, yeah. no, no, tell me the truth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I sat her down. Yeah. I did a PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> <laughs> This is the stuff I wish people told me. I said, yeah. and even what I tell you now, there's yeah. no way you can fully comprehend it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that's a real shock. Yeah. One to two. So my first child had a really strong, let's say you've got one calm child and one with a strong temperament. So I had the strong temperament first, which is beautiful. Like I, I, he's going to be a fantastic human being. They all are. Mm. So I'm not saying that in a, in a negative mm. way at all. And so I was really bracing myself the second time round. Mm -hmm. But then he was one of those dream babies that yep. just slept. Yeah. Did and I'm like, oh, yeah, amazing. So one to two wasn't as difficult. Yeah. And then by the third, I sort of knew it was coming, and yep. you're just so much more relaxed. Yeah. You don't stress the small stuff. Yeah. Yep. You know when there's the twenty pieces of advice coming at you, mm. which one actually matters and mm. what suits your situation. Yeah. Yep. Um. So the third kid sort of just. He's pretty chill. Walks oh, around the yeah. house looking after himself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Here's some food. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> he, does, he does get his own banana in the morning now. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. A three-year-old. Hey, that's independence, resilience. <laughs> okay. It's so funny you mentioned that my one of my best friends just had her first one and I was uh, I was visiting her a few weeks before she gave birth and I was like so do you know what to expect because I want to prepare her but I don't you want can't. to shock her too much and she's like oh well you know um, I think I think we we do know I think we're ready for the next challenge you know always up for a challenge <laughs> I'm like <laughs> It's not an interview. You're getting the baby either way. I just wanted to help, but I don't want to scare you too much. So I didn't end up saying much. She thought, well, if you have any questions, just let me know. I always check in around six or seven months. Yeah. Because the first bit, you've kind of, uh, I was told this, the first six weeks, you've got the hormones yep. to cope with it or thereabouts three months. Yeah. Um, it's after you've been at it and the sleep deprivation has built up. Yeah. Six, seven months. Yeah. Um, that's when I check in with new mums okay. and, and say, and sometimes all you need to say is, this is normal. Yeah. Like you can't solve it for them. Yeah. This, it will get better. I remember a few, few mums saying to me, um, saying, don't worry, it'll get better. But the thing is, it gets better very slowly, yeah. in very small increments. And another really good piece of advice I got was um, that, well, I came to the conclusion that it's 
it just is amazingly beautiful and difficult all meshed in together all at the same time. It's never one or the other. Yeah. So you just have to stop and enjoy those beautiful moments in between. Yeah. Like they'll push you to the edge and then a minute later do the most amazingly yeah. beautiful thing. So just stop and focus on that. <laughs> I mean, guilt, joy, proud, <laughs> whatever else, right? Yeah. How was the first time it happened when you first um, had your uh, firstborn? How did it change you as a person? I remember saying to a friend, it was a very humbling experience. Mm. Like I realised how self-centred, I don't know if arrogance is the right word, or just because when you have a child, it's nothing about you anymore. All your energy physically, emotionally, everything is for someone else. So it was very humbling in that sense, just to step out of yourself and give everything to someone else. Yeah, yeah, that was my biggest learning from it. Yeah, Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. It's like... Whenever you see someone without kids, because you've never had to care for anyone else, really. I mean, yeah. you care about your friends, your family, but nothing like caring for a newborn child and where it's, it's all-consuming. Um, and it's yeah. a whole other level. Like, you've never cared about anything so much in your life. Yep. Like, you or anything, you don't matter anymore as long as they're, yep. they're happy and protected and safe. Yep. Yeah. And it probably transcends your emotional thoughts as well. Like it's, it's really weird. I remember when um, my first born was, must have been about three months or four months or thereabouts, we were having a nap and for some reason he started to roll then. He was at the edge of the bed about to fall off. Mm. I was asleep by then, but for some reason I knew to get up and I knew where he was and put him back on the bed. It's phenomenal. It's so weird. I just thought, how did I know that? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's your body the fact that it creates this and just knows how to naturally respond to its needs. Mm. Um, Yeah, it's just, yeah, very humbling in terms of it's a bit beyond us to a certain degree. Yeah. Yeah. But then what I've noticed is, so obviously the first few years it's a very physical Mm. need, Mm. but now it's turned into that emotional need. So it's like, oh, how am I going to teach them how to be the best person they possibly can be? So that makes you look at yourself. Yeah. And this is another piece of advice I got. It's, it's all about role modelling. Yeah. So you've got to improve yourself yeah. in order just so they'll pick that up subconsciously. Like that's where they get the energy from. And yeah. it doesn't matter what you say to them. Yeah. They watch what you do. Yeah. Which is why, you know, I, when I was doing the, um, the YouTube, I showed my first born and he said, oh, I want to do a YouTube. And then I did the, <laughs> the book and he's like, oh, and he started writing his own book as well. So you're right. It's... It's that tug, um, you know, pull and push between wanting to be there for them and be present versus also preparing them have to be an adult because one day they do need to step out of this comfort zone yeah. and find their own way. And how can they be the best adult or best person that they can be? Or play to their strengths. Yeah. Yeah. So they might not, like you can role model one thing, but that's not naturally what yeah. they'll do. So yeah. um, find what they genuinely enjoy yes. and yeah. nurture that or what they're naturally good at and nurture that. And yeah. so that sets them up for success. Yeah. yeah. Do you think that they show that talent, individual talent, very early yeah. age? Yeah, definitely. Okay. So you just need to be quite mindful of how they react to certain, certain things and make them try a few different 
yeah. range of activities. Yeah, so my oldest son, when he was three, said he wanted to start a recycling company. I'm like, oh, that's good. <laughs> now he wants to be a world-famous goalkeeper. Um, <laughs> okay. Excellent, you've probably got the ability for that as well. Yeah. Um, my second son, just his sheer personality, yeah. we say he's either going to be... Um, leader of the UN or a mafia boss, one or the other, who just got that gravitas. <laughs> the third one we'll see. Let's not put any pressure on them. <laughs> okay, all right. How do you juggle parenthood between you and your husband? Do you take turns? Do you compliment? Yeah, it definitely. We, I'm really, I think we're both very fortunate. We found a really good balance. Mm. Like, I, And this is, goes back to what I said really early on. It's not the breadwinning mum. Mm. It's the, the partnership mm. that really works. Mm. And, yeah, I feel like we both contribute really equally. Yeah. And there's times where, like, you know, I'll need to lean in more or he'll need to lean in more depending on what's going on at the time. Um, but, yeah, I think it took a while to get there because of, you know, even I start out thinking, oh, this is the mum's responsibility and, and I step in, I do yep. it all. Yeah. Then you get burnt out, you get yep. really angry. Yep. So then you've got to learn just to lead the gap. Yeah. Let them step in, yeah, um, and find a way to to work together. Which yeah, I'm really happy to say that yeah, I feel like we've gotten there. Yeah, that's good. Um, I think sometimes parenthood gives you this huge mirror, right, to to for you to actually see who you are mm. with how they respond to you, um, with how they push your buttons. <laughs> um, with the biggest button that you think you have, do you think it's a good idea to work through it yourself or uh, relate to your partner who hopefully have a better um, strategy or just personality to deal with that specific issue? Yeah, I think, yeah, this goes to, you know, the theory of what you should how you should respond, how you should mm. speak to kids. But sometimes at the end of the day, mm. something happens and you just, you're triggered. Mm. And it, mm. um, that's a hard one to crack. Mm. It's really hard. So w what I've started is like, if you sort of know that you're in that state, yep. just step away yep. and calm down. Because I don't like the thing say you're never going to be angry. You're never going to scream. You're never going to do this. Well, we're human. We're humans. Yep. That's a natural emotion. But mm. it's what you do with that. So mm. step away, calm down, yep. like respond, not react, that whole thing. Yep. Really hard to do in the moment. Mm. But I think, again, role because the kids have these really strong emotions that come out. Yep. And you can't say to them, oh, you can't be angry or you can't yep. do that. Like it's their natural yep. emotion. So, yeah, I think stepping and knowing when the other person's at that point mm. and then trying to step in and yep. vice versa. Is, yeah, okay, all right. Yeah, oh, it's, a, it's a really hard one to crack. And yet another piece of advice, it's like, if you feel like you have to get it right 100% of the time, like you'll never will, yep. take that stress off you as well yep. and that naturally calms things down. Mm. And someone said if you're doing the right thing as a parent 60% of the time, mm. you're winning. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was having another conversation with a mum called Penny Lacasso and she said, you know, as a parent, no matter what you do, you'll always, I can't remember the word that she said, either hurt your child or you'll, you'll make a mistake. Oh, yeah. Either way. Yeah. It's just finding out which mistake and how to pre prepare it afterwards. Yeah. Or talk to them about it. Yeah. Say, oh, you know, I did that and really, like, mm. that wasn't right It's because this, this and that. But, mm. you know, mm. it's okay and I've learnt from it type thing. Yeah. yeah. And then they'll learn, hopefully, yeah. how to be better as well. Yeah. Or that, see that, yeah, their parents make mistakes as well and yeah. that's fine. Yeah. 
Okay, awesome. Mm -hmm. One question that I ask all moms is, what's your alpha mom song? So when things are going crazy at work, your kids are, you know, screaming at you and you don't feel well yourself, what one song do you play in the back of your mental, mental mind to make it through the week or through the day? Oh, I've got a whole Spotify playlist. <laughs> okay. And it, it varies. But at the moment, it's um, Players by Koi Leroy. Oh, okay. Um, and actually, my second son really likes that as well. Okay. And then, yeah, anything out of the Barbie movie, I've got to say. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was I mean, sceptical at first, but yeah, yeah, some of those tracks are pretty, pretty banging. <laughs> yeah. All right. Awesome. And so for all mums who are listening to us right now, if you could just give them one tip on how they could maybe nurture equality in their relationship, but also bring out the best in themselves and how they present themselves to their kids, to the world at large, and at the same time, look after themselves as well. What one tip would you share? I would say don't ever compare yourself to anyone else. Yeah. Don't look at what someone else is doing and go, oh, I'm not quite like that, therefore. Yeah. That's right. Do what's right for you and be confident in that mm. and validate your own success. Mm. Don't look to others to validate what you're doing is mm. right or wrong. Mm. Be confident enough to say, this is my situation. Mm. This is my measure of success. This is what's right for my family, for my partner. Mm. And be very comfortable in that and just work towards that. Yep. Awesome. All right. Well, Gabriella, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. You too. This episode of The Breadwinning Mums was produced by me, Jane Lim, and our theme music was produced by Sam McNally. We recorded this episode on the lens of dark people who have passed their parenting story for generations. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and thank them for caring for country. Connect with us through LinkedIn or Instagram at BreadWinningMums. Until next time. Thank you.